card in front of you and write down some basic information so we can get to know you. On the back of the card, there's a place to put prayer requests. Anyone can write a request down, and when the offering plate passes here in just a bit, drop the blue cards in there, and they will get to the staff. Before we go any further in the service, we just want to take a minute and let you know a few things that are going on in the life of the church so you can, get to, so you can know how to get involved. My first announcement is about Kids Camp. Central Kid is an incredible week of gospel-centered fun for our second through sixth graders. From the time the kids step off the bus, they will hear gospel truth in Bible study, worship, recreation, and tracks. You can find information about Centricid Camp at centricid.com. If your kid wants to go, see Philip Rinky today. You don't want your child to miss out on this great opportunity to grow in their relationship with Christ. Our annual spring carnival is right around the corner. This is a time where we have a family carnival in our church. Literally hundreds of people from the community will come to our church, and we need you to make it happen. There are a couple of different things we need you to do for this outreach. First, pray for it. Spend time asking God to bring people to our church and for this to help FBC make connections with the community around us. Second, invite your friends. This is a great opportunity for you to invite your friends, coworkers, neighbors, and family members. Third, volunteer to serve during the event. Outside the sanctuary, you will find a sign-up sheet. Go sign up there to serve during a portion of the event and be part of FBC impacting our community. Our last announcement is our new Pray Give Go partner for the month, which is South Asia. We partner there with an orphanage and pastor school that works to plant churches and reach people for the Lord in their area. Our goal this month is to buy them 1,000 Bibles. The Bibles will cost $3 a piece, and you can pay either through Secure Give on the website or by coming to the church office. That's all the announcements I have for today. Here at FBC, our vision is that every person would desire God, be discipled, and devote themselves to serve. One way we are doing that this year is by doing a chronological reading plan as a church. Whether you've been on the plan with us from the beginning, or if you're just now hearing about it, I encourage you to pick up where you, we are and commit to studying the Bible with us. If you would like that plan, you can pick them up at the Welcome Center in the lobby outside the sanctuary. Pray that this service would help play a part in that vision and would help you live for Christ in your day-to-day life. Thanks. Good morning. So good to see you here at First Baptist Church as we come together to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's going to be a great day as we sing, as we pray, as... Uh, Brother Scott brings the word to us, and we're excited about that. We're looking forward to what God's going to do uh, in his people. Uh, if uh, I would like to uh, duplicate a little what Isaac said about the blue cards. If you uh, see those right there in front of you, if uh, you're a guest with us, if you haven't been here in a while, would you please take that card and fill it out and put it back in the offering plate as it uh, comes by later in the service, so that we'll have a record of your visit, and uh, also because uh, we would like to pray for you. We love to pray for our guests and love to see new folks in our midst, so uh, please fill that out. Uh, If you have a prayer request, I can promise you that if you fill one of those out in the morning, uh, the pastors will pray for you. And I want you to uh, know that. 
We're glad you're here this morning. We're excited about it. We're going to stand right now and greet one another in the name of the Lord. Thank you. 
is the way maker. Can I get an amen on that? No matter what you find yourself in, he is there. He is there to help you through it. Um, a line in the song that I really like, the, um, even when I don't see you, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You know, th- that it's been playing through my, my, my mind all week long. And then earlier this week on the Internet, there was a picture that came out of, of the earth as a little blue speck. You might see that picture. Maybe one or two. I mean, I thought it was circulating everywhere because it kept showing up in, in my news feed and stuff. Yeah, I still do Facebook. Sorry. I know younger folks going, ooh, that's for old people. I'm one of those. All right. Um, but basically what, what happened, back in the 70s, the, the United States launched uh, a rocket in the, in, with Voyager. Remember, the, you remember Voyager? All, all those old people. Did it. Okay, good. Um, in 1990, before it was about to go into interstellar space, they had it turn around and take a picture of the Earth. And the picture, when you look at it, you see this, this whole bottom part of the picture is, is bright. You can see it's where the sun is, and it's huge. And there's like one ray sticking up out of it. Um, I'm not sure how that worked. But in the middle of that ray is this little tiny, tiny, tiny blue speck. And it's a selfie of all of us that were alive in 1990. Because <laughs> we were all on that planet. And it's a little bitty, tiny blue speck. And scientists look at it and said, look, we're all alone. You're, we're the only thing there. It's all this vast space. You're the only thing there. So you better take care of your world. I look at it and go, my God is big. Even when I don't see it, he's working. When I don't feel it, he's working because he's bigger than anything I can imagine. Because if we're just a little blue speck and he's bigger than that, man, it's an amazing thing. Would you stand up this morning? We're going we're gonna to kind of sing about how great God is. Um, and we're going to do that with a song. If I can just sing to uh, the song, How Great Thou Art. Just hit it. Go for it.
Father's Day. Clapping is, is for the Lord. It's for Him. You know, I really wish I had that picture to show you guys. I just figured everybody had seen that picture because when I'm singing that song and I think of how small we are in comparison to God, it just takes on holy meaning. Um, the other thing that, that kind of blew me away with this next song called Our God, um, it talks about, you know, uh, that our God is greater than other gods. When you see the earth as a speck and God is bigger than that, you know, what kind of God can man create that can even compare to that God? It's just amazing. Let's keep singing. He's great.
thank you that you are greater, that you are stronger, that you are higher than any other God that could ever be fashioned on this earth, Lord. You're our healer. You're our provider. Uh, And God, we know that no matter what we face in life, Lord, that that things are going to work out. Lord, if they don't work out in this life, they'll work out when we see you face to face. Uh, But God, we know that no matter the trial we go through, because we have your peace, we know that it can be well with us, Lord. That the trials that we face, they're small. They're they're as big as they are to us. In the grand scheme of things, they are small. Uh, and, And God, that it can be well with our soul when we trust you. So Lord, as we sing this last song, Lord, may the words of this old hymn just bathe our hearts with the assurance of knowing that we're held in the palm of your hand and that all is well. In Jesus' name, amen.
we do thank you that we have that peace, we have that assurance, knowing that no matter what happens in this life, Lord, that it is well because we know you. So, Lord, I do pray for any of those that are here today that don't know you, God, that as, as Scott comes to preach, that your presence will be so thick and so uh, uh, on them, Lord, that they cannot refuse you. Uh, and, Lord, we just pray that you'll move in the hearts of, of everyone here today, Lord, and that all of us will be changed because we've been drawn, drawn close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Well, I got to share with the first service this morning, the first part of this message, and you'll get the second part of this message, because I offered an opportunity for us just to stay through small group this morning. I'd get it all out in one load, and then y'all could stay during lunch, and they didn't think that was a good idea. So I said, boy, this is a lot to cover in one one message, but we're gonna we're gonna have fun with it. We're gonna we're gonna preach together this morning the the glorious good news of God's word and and I just want to tell you this is a lot to cover this week. We had a great week. If you if you've been reading along in the Bible and you're you're following along and chronologically together as a church, I, I know many of you are, and we encountered some amazing amazing passages this week. I mean, we came across the uh, the ten plagues. We, we walked through the Passover. We, we saw God deliver His, uh, His children, the Israelites, from Egypt. He, we saw the crossing of the Red Sea. We saw the entering of the new land. We saw God provide water, bread, meat, protection, direction. We saw His commands come to life this week of the Ten Commandments. We, we saw so many things happen this week. I mean, we, we, we've got a lot of preaching material here. Come on. I mean, there's a lot here to talk about this morning. There's a lot of good stuff here. I, I don't know how a preacher can put it all in one message, Mike. I'm a, we'll see. But uh, anyhow, just a lot of good stuff. I, I told the first congregation, too, in, in the early service, I said, you know, if you just want to get some bedrock faith and foundational principles in your life as a Christian, you need to, you need to go read Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. You need to see how God created. You need to see how how sin came in the world and how man made a choice in that. And we need to understand that, uh, that God looked and, and, and rightfully looked upon sin and he, he cleansed the world and he gave Noah the, the privilege with his, his children to pass through and, and to provide a, a, a new life and, a, and, and to exp, uh, be, expand and, and multiply. And, and we saw the world come back to life with people and we see the sin of mankind Happened. We saw that where uh, Joseph was carried to uh, to Egypt, he left Israel. He, he left this father's household, not not by his choosing, but he was sold into slavery. We saw him go from the pit to the palace. He came second place to Pharaoh alone, and and we saw that uh, God used Joseph to redeem his people. I mean, there were there was a famine in the land, and and the people were starving to death, and and God delivered. Israel, uh, who was Jacob, he got a new name. God gave him a name, Israel, and he delivered Israel and his sons down to Joseph in Egypt. And, and they bowed before Joseph, and God gave them Goshen, this great land, and, and they just they began a new life. And, and they stayed there. They stayed there for quite a while. Stayed here 430 years. And we come to the text today in, in Exodus chapter 12, where we kind of pick up on one of the most 
foundational bedrock theological precedence that you've got to understand. You just kind of got to have this one in your, in your understanding. Uh, this is the Passover, and, and God, believe, uh, God shows us some things that we can hold on to, believe, understand, and, and change our lives. So if you will, stand with me. Let's look at Exodus chapter 12. I'll begin in verse 1, and we'll read to verse 13 as we see God instituting the Passover. First, verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of the months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each they are, to, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it for four, uh, until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh, not the... They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner. With your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For it will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and it and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Father, we thank you for your word. God, what an amazing text this is. As I, I read it, Lord, I just kind of picture all that, that you're doing here and how it kind of, well, these, these folks were looking towards uh, what you were going to do. And Lord, now we see more fully as we look back at what you've done. God, I pray that in our hearts this morning, that, that as you've drawn us together as a group of people to hear your word, that we would understand these principles. Lord, we would, we would recognize your great love for these people you're talking about and also for us and how the Lamb of God, you, Lord, how, how you provided for us and how, how you've made such a difference in our lives. So, Lord, I'm grateful that you've appointed this time for us to come together. I pray, God, now that you would anoint me with your word and with your power to preach to those whom you love. 
Lord, I I love preaching. I love being with your people. I love sharing the truths of your word. I pray, Lord, that it's not just a time of, uh, of speaking, though, God, that it's a time of you touching hearts. I know that your word says that it will never return void. So it's going to touch us. It's going to make a difference. I just pray, God, when we come to the time of decision today, that when that time arrives, Lord, that even leading up to that time, as you press on our heart, as you show us things in our life that need to be changed and transformed, God, that we are willing for you to do that. And Lord, we, we respond to your word in a way that would be pleasing in your sight. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I want to show you four things this morning from this text uh, that, that I believe just rise out of this not only this text, but leading up to and looking back on, God, first of all, I want to tell you, God reveals. He reveals to us His power through the plagues. We see that. We see that God is an all-powerful God. Now, we, we know God to be an all-powerful God. We, we saw Him create in, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We saw the creation of God. So we know that God is a powerful God, no doubt. But we see here that just before this chapter... We see that Moses has been called to be the leader of the Israelite nation. We see that there is a, a problem for Israel. They are, they're in bondage. The people of God are in bondage. They've been in bondage now for 430 years. They, they've kind of settled in Egypt. They're, this is not the land that God promised them. God told them, he said to Abraham, he said, Hey, you know, when you leave Ur of Chaldean, when you're, when you're walking around this land, this land where you're, the soles of your feet trod, this land which you see, as far as you can see, I'm going to give it to you. It's yours, and, and I want you to come back and take hold of it. So we see that that promise goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob or Israel, and Israel's moved to Egypt because of that famine. Stays there. They, they wind up staying 430 years, which is a long time. And in that process, they multiply greatly. We go from one family of, of 12 boys and some girls and just a small, you know, that's not a small family, but just a small group of people in comparison to what 430 years later, there's hundreds of thousands of them. And Egypt looks upon them and says, oh boy, they're getting bigger than we are. And they got fearful. They were concerned about these, these Israelites growing and taking over. So they said, we're going to do something about that. We're going to start loading them down with work. We're going to get them so busy. We're going to oppress them. We're going to hold them back. We're going to, we're going to hurt them. I mean, we're going to enslave them. And they're going to make bricks for us. We're not going to give them straw. We're going to make it really hard on them. But the more they pressed down on them, the, the more they flourished. So we saw that the Israelite nation just grew in Egypt, but God had promised them that He would carry them to the promised land. This was a promise they could hold on to. So they were working that way, and, and God, He's got to really break them out of there because Pharaoh has his hands wrapped all around them. He, he's holding them back. He doesn't want them to go anywhere. He doesn't want them to walk out three days' journey and worship. He doesn't want them to do anything. He wants to hold them there. Because they're important to him. And just holds them back. And, and God comes in. He, he lays out ten plagues on the lives of the people. And, and all of Israel and all of Egypt experience these plagues. More so for Egypt and the experiencing more for, for the Israel and the seeing. But we see that this happens before their eyes. And these ten plagues come about. So God 
in his strong arm, he, he says, you know what, you're not going to deliver yourself. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to bring you out by my strong hand. So God's telling them, he's telling the Israelite nation, I'm going to get you. I'm going to bring you out. So God reveals to us his strength through the ten plagues. Also, the second thing we see is that God redeems the people through the Passover lamb. God redeems the people. He, he does a work that only God can do. He, he's going to redeem them through the Passover lamb. And he's going, to, he's going to bring about a practice, and he lays it out here for them in this Passover lamb as it's described. God, get this now, you know this, but get it. God detests sin. God hates sin. It's not God's ideal for us. It's not God's vision for you and me to live our lives in sin. God hates sin. He, he detests it. Why does he detest it? Because sin separates us from God. God is a holy God. He will not be in the presence of sin. So when we live in sin, we live separate from God. It's not God's will for us to do that. God loves you. God longs for a relationship with you. And, and where there's sin, there's separation. So God says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do something about sin. And, and, and we could see because sin is very destructive. Sin is a, has a destructive nature about it. But God says, instead of letting sin be destructive in your life, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a distinction for you. Instead of destruction, I'm going to bring a distinction. There's sin, let's get this now, there's sin in Egypt's life and all the Egyptians, and there's sin in Israel and all the Israelites. So God does not look down on Egypt and see that the Israelites that are in Egypt are so much better than the Egyptians that are in Egypt. God sees that he's called them out. He's made a promise for them. And Egypt has rejected him. They're, they're worshiping false gods. And the cry of the Israelite nation has come up to God. And they have cried out and asked God to help them. So he, he has to deal with sin. And, and the way God deals with sin, he lays it out for us right here. Now let's just think back. You may be looking, thinking, oh, well... We got a Passover lamb here. We we got a, something's got to die. Blood's got to spill. I had somebody stop me in between the two services and said, "You know, Pastor, I really, I, I really think I got your service. I think I understood that. But an illustration would have been better if you just laid the lamb today and sprinkled blood all over us." So I said, "Boy, we'd had a committee meeting this afternoon. Sure as the world before I got out of here." But you know, in, in what's happening is we see this. We I've had people tell me in the past that's that's gory. That's that's horrible. Why would something have to die? Why does why does there got to be blood spilled? Why does why does that have to work that way? Well, let's just think about that for a moment. In my mind, in your mind, that may not make sense. But does that really matter? Well, let's talk about what matters. See, we, we have a holy God in heaven who, who is span all time. He, he is not confined by time. He is He's preexistent to us. We, he, he was here before we got here. He's always been here, the Scripture tells us. He'll always be here. He is not confined to time. He's eternal. Okay, so let's grasp that. And in His sovereignty and in His wisdom, infinite wisdom, God looked down and said, you know what? I want us, talking to the God the Father, God the Son, God, God the Holy Spirit, they're all talking. Hey, I, I want us to create, I want us to make man in our own image. In the likeness of us, let's, let's create man. Well, we weren't just going to float in oblivion. He said, I'm going to build a world. 
I'm, I'm going to build the, the earth. I'm going to separate the water from the land. I'm going to put birds and, and a fish. I'm going to put animals on the land, put trees. I'm going I'm to provide for everything. So we have Genesis chapter 1 and 2 telling us about this spectacular creator. I mean, he created in the most spectacular way. We're, we, we look at the world around us and we're like, wow, God, you're amazing. I, I see what you created. It's beyond my imagination, my comprehension. I, what I've seen of your world's pretty cool. I can't imagine what I haven't seen, but what I've seen, I just recognize you're a spectacular creator. And if he's a spectacular creator, and we grasp that and understand that God created everything. If, if He's spectacular creator, and He is, I use the if there just as a conjunction, but He is spectacular creator, therefore He is supreme ruler. So it's His rule. He, he created it so He can do what He wants to do. Yeah, I've never created anything other than a mess probably a time or two. But I've not created anything, but God has. So God has free rule over that which he created. He says, I'm the supreme ruler, sovereign judge, and savior redeemer. We see that about God. We understand that. But this, So God looks down. He says, hey, there's sin. So we get back to the garden. Adam and Eve make a choice to, to sin against God. They did the one thing God told them not to do. And when they did that, they found themselves naked and afraid. And they hid from God. And then they played the same game you and I play, the comparison game and the blame game. Well, I didn't do it. She did it. No, I didn't do it. He did it. You know, so we, we get this happening around us. We understand that. We've all lived in that world. So we, we see that happen. And God comes down and says, well, you did it. Okay, you sinned. You went against my will. You distrusted my goodness, and you went against my will for you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to slay an animal. He instituted the only way that would, would satisfy his will. He slayed an animal. They were naked. He took the skins of that animal, and he covered Adam and Eve. So we've got one sin, one sacrifice. So it, something had to die because he told him, said, on the day that you eat of that tree, death will come into the world. Well, death had to happen. So the blood sacrifice was, was instituted right there. That's the way God did it. That, in his sovereignty and in his infinite wisdom, that's what he did. So we, we see that God did that. Now he looks at the people and, boy, they've made a mess of things. They've, they've, they've just they've made a mess. They've made decisions that carried them in the wrong direction. They've not, they've not worshipped God. They've not yielded their life to God. They've not lived perfect lives. They, much like me and you, they've, they've just lived life. And they've, they've made some messes. They've cho chosen in their own wisdom to go against God and, and not do what God's called them to do. So God prescribed the way to take care of that. What he did was he said, you know what, take you, take you a lamb. There's, there's got to be, a, there's a sin, so now there's got to be a sacrifice, and I want that sacrifice to be spotless. So he says, you take a lamb from the, from the sheep or the goats, you take a lamb, and you take one that's a year old and, and, and a male, and you bring it to your house, and you observe it for four days. And, you know, you look at it, you just make sure that this lamb is good, it, it's solid, it's healthy, it's unblemished, it's... It's ready to go. And, and for on the 14th day, what I want the whole group of people to do, all of Israel, hundreds of thousands of you, I want you to get together and I want you to slay that animal. I want you to take that animal, that spotless animal, and I want you to, I want you to form a sign with it. 
it's important that there's a sign in this. I want you to take the blood of that animal, and that blood has to be applied. So you get some hyssop branches. Now, you can, when you get home, you can Google hyssop branches. Hyssop branches are a little mint, and they're, they're pretty flimsy, okay? They're, they're pretty weak. And you take those hyssop branches and you dip them in the blood from that spotless lamb because you sinned and you take that blood and you, you put it on your doorpost and you put it on your lintel, that which is over the doorway. And, and you cover your door with that blood and you apply that blood. And so now we've got a sin and we've got a, a sacrifice, we've got a spotless lamb and we've got a sign with the blood. That blood will be a sign to me and because you you people are sinful and and there's got to be a there's got to be something that dies to cover your sin so that blood has to be applied so he says when i come through the city on that night and when i move through all of egypt as i see the blood on the doorpost and the lentils i will pass over that house and the death angel will not take anyone in that house but for all the other houses that do not have the blood applied destruction will come so we see now there's a distinction between israel with the blood applied and egypt with no blood applied there'll be a distinction it'll be very clear he says you'll you'll see it because god knew that they were sinful let me just say this I'll, I'll, i'll say a statement somebody said there's only one difference between the sorrows of the egyptians and the joyous freedom of the Israelites is the blood that's applied to cover sin. That's the only difference. I mean, they were both sinful. They were one like one was better than the other. One was more righteous, more holy, more perfect than the other. They were both sinful. The difference was the blood that had been applied. There's a lamb. Church, there's a lamb that's been slain. Let me... I love the end of the story. Let me just fast forward. Can we, can we step on into the future here? Let me, let me get out of that for just a moment. Let me hurry up. I've got to tell you something. Best news you ever hear in your life. The blood's been applied for your life. Every one of us are sinful. Every one of us are guilty of sin. In fact, Scripture tells us for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is the cost, the wage of sin? It's death, Scripture tells us. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. I'm going to tell you, I've been to a lot of graves. I've been to a lot of, of, of graveyards. used to live by one. I've yet to see anybody get up and get out of there. Dead men, dead women don't get up until Jesus comes back. Okay? So they're in the tomb. And, and, as, and I'm related now in my sinfulness. I'm related to that death. I can't save myself. I can't, I can't redeem myself, can't, can't fix my situation, I can't, I can't make everything right around me, I can't correct all my wrongs, I can't get everybody to like me again. I, I'm a sinner and dead in my sin and trespasses. So God looked down upon us, looked down upon you, my life, and he said, you know what, you're infinitely valuable to me. I created you and you bear my image. Though distorted and, and tainted because of sin... I want to redeem that in you. I want to lead you by faith through my grace. I want to save you. So if the blood is applied to you, you can be redeemed. Now, he said, I'll take away all the 
animal sacrifices. I'll, I'll take away that bloody mess. I'm going to put myself on the cross at Calvary, and I'm going to shed my blood for you. I'll be the spotless lamb, the final atonement for your sin and all sin that happens in this world. What an amazing God we have who said, I'm going to do something for you you can't do for yourself. I'm going to, I'm going to bring you back to life. I'm going to give you a new life, and I'm going to give you a new direction. So that's what he's saying to the Israelite people. We're seeing in a physical world what's happening in our spiritual world. He says to them, he says, not only am, am I going to do that, God removes his people from the place where they are. So we see that. He takes them from Egypt. And he, t- he takes them, he leads them out of Egypt that night that, when the death angel comes and it destroys every firstborn in Egypt. Pharaoh wakes up and he recognizes it hit his house. And it hit his house all the way down to the slave's house. It hit every house where there wasn't blood applied. And he said, you get up, you get your people, and you get out of here. You take your animals, you go, you go worship your God, and while you're there, pray for me. I'm hurting. He had lost greatly that night. He sent them out of Egypt, and Israel headed to the place that God had promised them. God went before them in a pillar of cloud by a fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day. He led them. It wasn't long, and Egypt realized, "Uh uh-oh, hey, we've lost greatly in death, but now we've lost our slaves. Let's go get them. And they pursue Israel, but God opens up the waters, passes them through safely on dry ground. And when the the Egyptian army comes after them, he, he makes them crazy in the middle of the sea. And they start, chariots start going here, yonder, and everywhere, and nothing's going in line anymore, and then he... Brings the water down on top of them. I had a guy say in a seminary one time, said, you know, I just don't believe that. If you go to the area where they say that happened, the water's only about yay deep. So I just don't believe it happened. That couldn't happen. That's shallow water. All that army couldn't drown in there. said, I, I, I'll tell you what, it's more of a miracle if it's only yay deep than if it is this deep. You know what I mean? If God God drowned the chariots, the horses, the, the people, he destroyed the army that was pursuing them. He led them over to dry land, and he showed them the promised land. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, we see that he tells Moses, and these people will worship me at this mountain. They arrive at that mountain. The promise of God comes true. So we see this happening. We see the, the people being led, and then he provides for them. He gives them water, quail, manna. He gives them daily needs. He meets their daily needs, gives them everything they need. And then God reveals to the people what their purpose is. I want you to flip over to Exodus chapter 19 with me. We're covering some ground. Y'all all right? We just talked about one of the most major theological understandings in all of Scripture. I, I, I want to recap while you're turning. We're lost and sinful. And, and we have no solution to our sin because we're dead in our sin before we allow the blood of Christ to be applied to our life. The cross of Calvary was Jesus going to the cross for all of the sin of this world. God himself took your place and my place, shed his blood, and now that can be applied to my life and your life when we by faith call upon God and ask him to save us. Then he passes over our sin. And it's not anything that you've done. 
It's not anything that I've done. It's what He's done. Isn't that where we have to look? We can't see what... I can't see a single thing I've added to this equation. I see what God did, though. His blood atoned for my sin. His blood redeemed me, paid the price for me. His blood. What a beautiful... What a beautiful understanding that is. But in, so what's their purpose now? So we see that they're, they're, they're over, they're safely away from Egypt. And then we see in chapter 19, verse 5, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my, uh, you shall be my own possession. Get, get that now. My own. This is God speaking. If, if you'll... Indeed, obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. What an amazing statement. We understand the if-then clauses. If this, then this happens. If you will obey my voice, keep my commands, keep my covenant, keep, keep all this together, keep my covenant with you, I've made a covenant with you. You keep this covenant. You obey my voice. You do what I've told you to do. Then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you as my own possession. That, let me tell you. Some people say, well, I don't, I don't want to be somebody's possession. I want to be my own person. Well, that's, that's not going to end well for you. I mean, when the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of all the universe says he wants me, I want him. I want him. I'm grateful he wants me. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not good enough. You're, you're, I'm going to break some news to you. You're not good enough, but He is, and He wants you. What an amazing God to look at my life, the mess I've made of it, the mess you've made of yours, and He says, I don't care about that. I want you. I created you, and I want to help you move from who you used to be in bondage to who you will be in freedom. That's what He wants to do in our life. So He tells him, He says, you, you do this. You obey my voice. You keep my covenant, and, and you'll be a possession of mine. You'll be my people. I'll, I'll, I'll have you. You'll be a kingdom of priests. You know what priests do? The chief job of a priest is to lead others to God. So he said, I'm going to put you in a position. I'm going to put you in the highest position that you could ever hold. I'm going to put you in the, you're going to be a priest. You're going to, you're going to lead other people. Your responsibility would be go out and lead other people to me. I'll never forget. My, my grandfather died on my, my dad's side. My grandfather died when I, was, uh, when I was 16 years old. And I loved my grandfather. He was a great guy. Enjoyed hanging out with him, fishing, and just, we just had a good time together. Well, my grandmother, many years later, got remarried. She married a Baptist preacher, and I was a lost dude, okay? I was living in the world. I didn't want to get around him too much because I was afraid he'd know a little bit too much about me. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You ever been there? I, I can only contain it so long at the dinner table. You know, I can only talk straight for so long. And, and I was scared I'd say the wrong thing. But one day I got up the nerve to ask him a question because he'd been a Baptist preacher for like 150 years. And he was old. And, and I, I knew, I mean, he just spoke like God. When he prayed, I thought the King James just prayed. You know what I mean? It was there. I, I could feel the power. I could feel the, the presence of God in his life. And I, I said, uh, uh, Bob, I got a question for you. Why you preach? And he said, oh boy. He said, of all the things in the world that I could do, there's no higher call than be the, lo- the pastor of the local body of believers. He said, I wouldn't trade my position if there were a king in England and I could be that. 
And I didn't get it, but I got it. I, I didn't fully understand what he was saying. But I knew that it, he was passionate about it. I knew that he had, he had staked a claim right there. That he'd rather be the, the minister of the good news of the gospel than he had to do anything else in this world. It was the highest calling. He said, there's no higher calling that anybody could ever be called to than be a pastor. Can I tell you, God calls us to be a priest. The priesthood of the believers. God calls us to be the ministers of the gospel. God calls every person who will surrender their life to Him. Let the blood be applied to their life to cleanse their life. He's called all of us to the highest position that we could ever be. And that's a position where we can be a blessing to be the hands and feet of God, to touch other people's lives and move in a mighty way. So God reveals to them their purpose. He, he tells them that's their purpose, and He sets them apart. See, in order to have a purpose... If you've got a purpose, you're going to be set apart. You're not going to be like everybody else. You've got a purpose. And God says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I've got a purpose and a plan for you. So he wants to set us apart when we agree with him and surrender our life to him. He sets us apart. And what he did with the Israelite nation was he said, I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to give you four commands that deal with me. And I'm going to give you six commands that deal with the people around you. So you get the vertical relationship right and the horizontal relationship right because relationships matter to God. Okay, he's pretty relational. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he wants a relationship with you. So we, we see he's relational, vertical, and horizontal. And God says, I'm not only going to give you four, four commands for me and six commands for others, I'm also going to give you a whole bunch of ordinances that will set you apart, that will make you different than all the people around you. In our world today, ladies and gentlemen, most people try to look like their neighbor. They're trying to keep up with, the, if you will, the Joneses. They're, they're wanting to look like them, act like them. Everybody wants to be accepted. Nobody wants to do anything that would polarize or separate. We all want to be like each other. And God says, no, I want you to be different. I want to make a distinction in your life. I want you to, I want you to look different than it. Because I'm telling you, if, the, if nobody's got something uh, to look at that's different, they'll never know what they really want. So he says, I'm going to take you out of bondage, and I'm going to give you freedom. And in freedom, other people in bondage are going to want freedom. But if people in bondage are looking at people in bondage, they're never going to know what they want or what they need. So he said, you'll never draw people to me. So he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you out of bondage. I'm going to give you freedom. And I'm going to give... And say, well, freedom means I shouldn't have any rules, right? I ought to be able to drive as fast as I want to. Live however I want to. Do whatever I want to do. It's freedom, right? No. Freedom has limits. And freedom is never free. So here we see that God looks at His people and says, I, I want you to be different. I want you to... I want you to look a little different than the world around you. I want you to live for me. I want you to serve me. And, and, and he's still calling us to that. You know, he called the people to that. And, and then if we went to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 12, we'd see he calls us to it again. He calls the Old Testament Christian or believers, the Old Testament faith walkers, he calls them to be a kingdom of priests, a people for his own possession. Then he calls the church in 1 Peter 2. He says, I want you to be, you church, to be a kingdom of priests, a people from my own possession, a royal priesthood. He calls us to that. You know, the only way a sinful man can come before a holy and just God is through a sacrifice. It's the only way we can get there. 
And God's people are forgiven when the blood is applied to our life. We ask a couple of questions in Scripture. I, I remember Genesis chapter 22, verse 7, where Abraham had Isaac and he was up on the, he was headed to the mountain to make a sacrifice. And Isaac said, Hey God, hey God, I, I got the wood and, and I got the fire. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? And in my life and in your life, we, we, we got the wood and the fire. Where's the lamb? And let me just tell you, the lamb is the lamb of God. Jesus Christ. He is the lamb. And he has been sacrificed because of our sin. And his blood can be applied to my life and yours. And the other question we can ask of the Bible and we can ask of our lives is, how can an unrighteous, unholy person like me be accepted in the presence of a righteous and holy God. And the only answer is through the blood of Christ. That's the only way an unrighteous person, unholy person, can be made right in the sight of a holy God is by the work of God. He's done that work. We're justified by His blood. What an amazing, beautiful message of the gospel where the blood is applied the life is redeemed. There's a lot of people still living in bondage. You know, I lived in bondage. I know what bondage is. I lived 31 years of my life. And some of you in here know exactly what it's like to be in bondage to sin. Some of you are still denying that you were ever sinful. But many of us know what it's like to be in bondage to sin. And I also know what it's like to be free. And I'm going to tell you something. Knowing what freedom's like, I never want to go back in bondage. I want, I want to live in freedom. And I, I want to tell you, that freedom can be yours. You may be sitting here today and saying, I'm, I'm in bondage. I've been in bondage. I know what bondage is like, brother. I'm ready for freedom. All you've got to do is humble yourself. Seek his face. Call upon his name. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Trust him as Savior and Lord of your life. And he will redeem you. His blood will be applied to your life. And then that passage in Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far have I separated you from your transgression applies to your life because God's covered you and he's taken care of you. You know, I got one statement I want to leave you with this morning. If I had to boil it down to one thing, George Morrison said this. It took one, it took one evening to get Israel out of Egypt. It took one evening to get Israel out of Egypt. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. Did you hear me, church? It took one evening to get Israel out of Egypt. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. How, how many of you are living out here today? You're living life. You're walking through life, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You you want to you want to live for Jesus. You really want to you want to live redeemed. You want to live free. You want to yield your life to Him. And we can read back through those forty years of struggle with those Egyptian. I mean, the Israelites struggling with Egypt still being in their heart, and we can see that struggle. They went. Sometimes it seems funny to us, and then we look at our life and say, "I'm struggling too. I'm struggling too." That's truth. So what I'd ask you today is, how much longer are you going to hold on to Egypt? How much longer are you going to hold on to Egypt? You say, I've saved, I've given my life to Jesus, I've surrendered to Him. 
But it's God, if I'm truthful with you, Pastor, I'm, I'm struggling with the past. It still keeps coming up. It still keeps coming after me. Israel, pursued, Israel was pursued by Egypt, okay? Let God cover that water today. Let Him take care of that in your life today. Put an end to Egypt coming after you. Bondage coming after you. And let God be Lord of your life. Some of you are sitting here saying, I've, I've not even surrendered to Him. I don't know Him. I don't have a relationship with Him. Today's the day that you can do that. Just, just pray that simple prayer. God, I've lived for me. I, I want to trust you. Forgive me of where I've failed. You're, you're God, and I give my life to you. I surrender to you, your Lord. Be Lord of my life. I trust in what you did on the cross. And I trust that you raised from that grave and that you're coming back, and I want you to be my Lord. So today, help me live for you. God will guide you. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the privilege to come before you this morning and study your word. Thank you, Lord, that we got to see a Passover lamb in the Old Testament and got to understand how that blood applied made all the difference in the world. Lord, I pray the bloods have been applied to everyone here today. But if not, I pray, God, that right now, the one, the two, the ten, the twenty, the hundred, however many, God, are here today that the blood's not applied to their life, they'll, they'll rise up and say, I want you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. Move in our hearts, we pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This is your time of invitation. If you will stand with me, you move as God leads. We're here for you. You move. Let God lead you. This is your time. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar.
won't come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world that the treasure you found. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for another day in your creation. We thank you for the many blessings you've given us, and they are numerous. I mean, you know, we've got our family, our church, everything you've given us comes through you. But let us not forget what you've given us and what we're thankful for. Let's remember who you are. You let us out. You put us on the path to salvation. You are a creator. You are everything. You give us everything, and you are everything to us. Let us not forget that. Let's take a portion of this, take this tithe and use it to expand your creation, expand your, 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 expand your kingdom, and glorify your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. billion people. That's how many people are in the country we partner with in South Asia. Of those 1.3 billion people, less than 2.3% of them are Christians. That means 97.7% are lost and are on a road to spending eternity under God's wrath. They are lost. They are broken. This country is dark and seemingly in despair. They are following a religion that teaches them they have to earn their way into a better life. And that if good deeds are done, good will come to them. They are following a religion that will ultimately leave them without salvation. They put their faith in gods made by human hands and expect these statues to provide them what they need. We have the answer. We have the hope of Christ within us. In this video, we want to show you some of how you can pray, give, and go to this partner. You see, every one of us has a part to play in making the gospel known around the world. Whether you are going or supporting, not being part of this mission is against the command God has called us to make disciples of all the nations. But before we get to that, let's take a little history lesson. This is William Carey. He was born in 
1761. This is Andrew Fuller. He was born in 1754. Both of these men had a great desire to see the people in the country we partner with be converted. The reality was, though, that missions, they cost money. So Fuller decided to stay back and support Carey as he went to spread the gospel. Before Carey embarked on his missionary journey, he famously told Fuller, I will go down into the pit if you will hold the ropes. You see, Carey was the one going, but Fuller was sending him. He was holding the ropes. Spreading the gospel across the world takes several pieces. First, it takes the church praying. Second, it takes the church holding the rope for those going. Third, it takes people being willing to go down into the pit of lostness with the light of Christ. The question we want you to ponder today is, where do you fit into that? You see, everyone should be praying. But are you sending or are you going? That being said, let's discuss some ways to pray for this partner. Number one, pray for the church planters. We do not go there and simply drop in and leave. We work with local church pastors that are spreading the gospel before and after we leave. Second, pray for our primary contact and his leadership over the pastor's school and orphanage. Third, pray for the teams that FBC sends. Pray that they would have a huge gospel impact in the short time that they are there. Now, let's talk about how we can hold the ropes for our brothers and sisters there. In this country, it is illegal to share the gospel. Because of that, Bibles are scarce. Here in America, we can buy a Bible almost anywhere. There, it is much more difficult to have a Bible. Therefore, our part in holding the ropes this month is to purchase Bibles for them. The Bibles are $3 a piece. That's equivalent to your morning coffee at a coffee shop and half the price of your lunch too. Virtually all of us can support this effort. So let's hold the ropes for our brothers and sisters there in life and lives. Lastly, how can you go? Some of you in this room are called to go to South Asia. And I know immediately you'll, you'll try to come up with reasons why you can't. But I'd encourage you, trust God. Following Him is never convenient or easy. If He is calling you to go, don't hesitate. Simply obey. There is a movement happening in this country. The government tries to stop it, but they can't. The opposing religion hates it, but can do nothing about it. The gospel is spreading. I'll leave you with this quote from C.T. Studd. He said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. My prayer is that because of the way God has used FBC's partnership, there will be millions of people from this country in heaven with us. Worshiping the one who made all of this possible. So think to yourself, how can you pray, give, and go to South Asia?